I told you earlier, as we start this message today, I told you earlier that the Holy Spirit started dealing with me about this message by a question rose up in me. Do you want to be relevant in the kingdom of God? And, you know, I'm just, you know, I've never stood up here and said, you know, I'm just such a great preacher or whatever. Do I have a gift? Yes, I'm not going to deny that. God gave me that gift. God uses me in that gift. He lets me speak. And he, and he shows me some things, and I'm humbled by that in the Word. But I stupidly said to the Holy Spirit, am I supposed to devour, uh, desire relevance in the body of Christ? Am I supposed to? Is that something I'm, I'm supposed to desire? And the Holy Spirit said back to me this. It just dropped in me. I didn't hear a voice. I'm not ever trying to imply that. It went something like this. Understand that if you have no relevance in the kingdom of God, no souls will be saved as a result of LSBC ministries and no disciples will be produced. And I broke out into tears. He said LSBC ministries will be sterile. Won't produce anything. So needless to say, we want to be relevant in the kingdom of God for his glory. If we're not relevant in the kingdom of God, we will not be productive. It won't matter if we're not doing what you think we ought to be doing. It won't matter. It won't matter that if we're worried about, well, how many people attended this or whatever. None of that's going to matter if we're not relevant in the kingdom of God. Now, you're going to think when we start this message today, I don't understand what you're saying now has anything to do with relevance, but you will. The, the scripture that God took me to for this subject of relevance in the kingdom of God is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Now, it's early. I, I think it's early. I don't think it's late. Will you please bear with me today? Do you, do you know that your pastor doesn't give a flying flip that it's Super Bowl Sunday? I don't care. I don't care. I used to care. I don't think it's humanly possible for me to care less now than I do about it. All right? Please bear with me while I share what I believe is the most important message I've ever preached in my life. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, and you're going to have to bounce with me a little bit in the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, I want to thank you once again for your word. I'm going to thank you that it is life, that it is your power manifest in our ears, in our hearts, in our lives. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would cause it to pierce us today as we boldly ask you in the name of Jesus Christ to let your word change us in this hour, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The synopsis to this message that I wrote today won't make sense to you, but I, I wrote it anyway, just as God gave it to me. This message is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that a bold statement? This message is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. It will be used to bring us to a deeper look into the mysteries of the wisdom of God. 
This should lead us to an enlightened understanding of of what God wants to do with our lives, our families, our church, our city, and our world. Powerful statement, don't you think? Like I said, I started preparation for this message facing the challenge given by the Holy Spirit. I've already addressed that subject with you. Relevance in the kingdom of God. Now, the response that he gave me overwhelmed me. It went something like I said, understand that if you have no relevance in the kingdom of God, no souls will be saved as a result of LSBC ministries and no disciples will be produced. In other words, LSBC ministries will be sterile. Now, the first passage of Scripture that the Spirit of God led us to today is not unfamiliar, is it? You've heard it before, right? You've, you've heard of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, let me, let me tell you two things that are important about this passage of Scripture. One, it tells me that I was not called by God to be somebody. I wasn't called by God to be somebody. Matter of fact, I'm not special. The only special thing about me is that God chose to love me. That's it. That, that, that's it. He chose to love me. That is the grace of God because I did not present anything to him to love. He loved me by his own choice. So he did not give me the grace of God to make me somebody. He gave me his grace to cause me to do something. He gave me his grace to call me to do something. Let me read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's funny because the word works shows up there, but not my works, not anything I can boast about. Yet it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He did not save me to be somebody. He saved me to do something. I have something to do, and you have something to do. Can you say amen? The truth that it puts forth simply stated is that God did not allow me to be saved by grace so that I could be somebody. More importantly, we have been empowered by grace to do something. Not be somebody, but to do something. I have got to drill that home today. To learn what it is that the Holy Spirit's going to show us today, we have to move now to Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. I'm going to give you a chance to either write it down, look it up, or both. God help us to cover these passages of Scripture today. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, Paul said this, having gifts, say that with me, having gifts, say that with me, having gifts, say it boldly with me, having gifts, thank you, sound like you meant it that time, having gifts that differ according to the what? The grace given to us, let us use them. Notice it says, not let us sit on them, but use them. Having grace or having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And notice that there are other things 
that, that are part of that passage of Scripture, but I stopped right there. I'm not going to put a face on the gifts today. I'm not going to do it. God's going to do it. God's going to do it, all right? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Not let us set on them, but use them. I want to take a moment to look at two words in this scripture that are linked in ways that stagger the imagination. God blew me away with this. Later, we'll include a third word to drive our point home. Look with me for a moment at the facts represented in a survey that involved 5,000 Christians. 5,000 Christians where the question was posed, what does grace mean to you? What does grace mean to you? Uh, Grace was in that passage of Scripture. Listen to me carefully. The vast majority of those surveyed, upward of 90% of the answers included salvation, a free unmerited gift, and forgiveness of sins. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that describe grace, right? Only 2% of the people surveyed said anything about grace having anything to do with empowerment. I'm going to tell you something. In American Christians, we haven't cared. We haven't cared about the empowerment of grace. Why? Because grace is just going to forgive us. God's just going to forgive us. In the American church, we've used grace as an excuse not to get right with God. We have masked getting right with God by just getting forgiveness all the time. When God says, I gave you the power of grace to deliver you from sin, not just forgive you from sin. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to tell you something right now. It is a crying shame. I don't care if it's LSBC. I don't care if it's First Baptist Church or whatever. That's shouting material right there. That is something to get excited about. The American church is living a powerless life because they do not know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I'm one pastor who just won't leave it alone. And God, God won't leave me alone. Why should I leave you alone? Right? All right. So what are we talking about? We're talking about gifts, but first we're talking about grace. Now, watch this with me. Nathan, I want you to put the first point up there. Let's look at grace. There's an amazing thing here. Uh, I, I feel brokenhearted for Connie Masahara today because she's in the nursery, and she can't be here to see this, but she's going to watch this later. The Greek word for grace is charis. God's empowerment that gives us the ability to go beyond our natural ability. If, if that doesn't say more about deliverance from sin than forgiveness of sin, I'll eat your hat without salt. You understand what I'm saying? Empowerment. God's empowerment that gives us the ability to go beyond our natural ability. Have you ever felt like or have you ever known anybody that said, I, I, I'm, a, I'm an addict, I'm addicted? Do you realize that when you stand before God in heaven, that's not going to be an excuse? It's not going to be an excuse. You know? Um, I'm just telling you the truth. Amen? Grace, charis, God's empowerment that gives us the ability to go beyond our natural ability. This isn't even the main point of my message, but it needs to be stressed. We can be free. Amen? We can be free. Everybody say, thank God for that. Thank God for that. 
just a touch more enthusiasm. Thank God for that. Thank you. The second word that I want to highlight in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That second word is gifts. Now, this is what blew me away. Look at the Greek word for gift. Doesn't that blow you away? If it doesn't blow you away, I don't know why not. Grace and gifts, the root word is the same. One is charis, and the other one is charisma. Oh, we know a lot about it. How many of you remember, it came from the root word charisma, the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement. Charisma, a specific gift of grace that empowers an individual to fulfill what they have been created to do. I'm going to prove to you today that every single, solitary one of you have been created to do something. Every one of us. None of us can escape it. None of us can opt out of the class. None of us can run from it. None of us can hide from it. God has something for everyone to do. Can you say amen? Now, look, this is, this is going to be difficult for me to say this because every time someone says something to me nice about it, I go, well, I appreciate that. And I'm telling you, in, in the core, I shudder over it. Some people think I'm a decent Bible teacher. You, you hear what I'm saying? They think that I'm a decent public speaker. And, I, and you know, I, I, I know, I know this because there's no shortage of people that tell me that. Uh, too many for me to just dismiss it or ignore it, so I accept it, right? That's my gift. Mine's easy to see. You, you, are you following with me? Mine's easy to see, right? Now, the list of stories about how God brought this about is too lengthy to cover in this one message, but suffice it to say this. I was just a child, maybe 10 years old, when God called me. I mean, I'm 63 today. I was 10 years old then. God's had a lot of time to mess with me, Right? I mean, and he's used it to his advantage, right? Um, when I was in high school, somehow, way, I ended up in a class uh, on current events that had to do, that had nothing but seniors in it. I was in the 10th grade, and the seniors just gave me a, a rough time, you know, because I didn't belong in their class. I was in the 10th grade. They're all seniors. They were special. And uh, the class wasn't difficult. All we did all week long was discuss current events from the newspaper, the news, whatever. And we discussed those current events. And then on Friday, we had to stand up in front of the whole class, and we had to take one of those current events, rehearse it again in the ears of those people, and talk about how it affected us, what we thought of it, you know, you know what effect you thought it had on the world. And, and the first day, I stood up and I talked about something that happened um, in, between East and West Germany. And I remember the story plainly today. Someone tried to escape on the Russian side, and they ran out in the middle in front of God, in front of American soldiers, in front of people at Checkpoint Charlie. They gunned that man down. And a a, a utility vehicle rolled out there, and Russian soldiers got out, and, and I said, they just chunked that body in the back of the truck and drove off with him. Well, that wasn't elegant. They chunked his body in the back of a... It wasn't, now, how many of you, you, you may say I have a gift and that I can speak, but have, no one's ever accused me of being elegant. That's okay. I don't mind not being elegant, right? 
Well, that was one of the first, you know, it was one of the first things I ever read about public speaking. Next thing happened to me was when I started preaching. My lovely wife, who I love dearly, she used a grading system on me because she was a school teacher. She was brutal. Little Ruthie, blonde hair, blue eyes. She was brutal. <laughs> she gave me grades, you know, but it helped me, helped me improve, all right? I remember the very first time I ever preached, our pastor had a heart attack. Just the day before, he said, Carl, you're a young preacher. We're going to give you a month-long notice. You have a month to prepare your sermons because he knew I didn't know how to preach. He knew I was going to need all the time I could get. That night, he had a heart attack. This was a huge church. They had an early morning service with 200 people in it. The next service had 800 people in it. And what it said was, pastor has had a heart attack, the note. Pastor's had a heart attack. You've got to preach Sunday morning. And every Sunday morning after that until further notice. Well, I had about four or five sermons I was working on. And I tried to pull one of them out, and I tried to get it ready. I stepped up in front of all those people, and I preached all five sermons in about eight minutes. About eight minutes. You see what I'm saying? So there's a big difference between then and now. Right? You'll have to pray for me that God will help me in this message today. So, that's my gift. Why did I talk about it? Because mine's easy to see. We're going to get back to that. There's a third word we've got to look at today. We talked about gifts. We talked about grace. Grace is charis. God's empowerment that gives us the ability to go beyond our natural ability. And then gifts is charisma, a specific gift of grace that empowers an individual to fulfill what they have been created to do. I, today, am doing what I've been created to do. I have no problem with that. And I hope and pray that you don't either. But let's add a third word to this, and I'll tell you why. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. There it is, the word steward. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Third point, steward. Now, forget about the Greek here. That's not important. The definition is one who manages another's property or other affairs. It's a stretch to say, is it a stretch to say that we are stewards of God's charisma or gifts. Is that a stretch? It's not, and I'll tell you why. The scripture to back it up. Charisma, my ability to teach and preach. Is it my gift or is it God's gift? My ability to preach is not my gift. It is God's gift. I am merely a steward of it. Now, I'm talking a lot about myself, but I'm going to get to you. Don't be in a hurry. You may not enjoy it. Charisma, my ability to teach and preach. Is it my gift or is it God's gift? Watch what Peter says about these things. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4, because Peter brings all three of these words together in one passage. Grace, gifts, and steward. Watch with me. 1 Peter 4, chapter 10, or chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each has received a what? A gift. 
Now, stop right there. What did that just say? As each has received a gift. That's solid word right there. That means nobody in the room gets away. Nobody escapes. Everyone has a gift. Amen? As each has received a gift, I like these words, use it. Once again, I say don't set on it, use it. Use it to serve one another as good what? Stewards of God's varied what? Grace, right? So charis is in there. Charisma's in there. The word steward's in there. First, notice that every child of God has been given at least one gift. Next, notice again that we are not told to sit on it. We are told to use it. We are to use these gifts as good stewards of what has been provided by God. How? By the grace of God that empowers us to accomplish our mission. I would be the first person to tell you that there are many, many gifts in the church that are more important than mine. I'm going to prove it to you. Lots of gifts that are, are more important than mine. My gifts just happen to be easier to see. The Bible talks about how the body is made up of many members. Isn't it easy to understand that toes can't do what a nose can do? Toes can't do what a nose can do. A nose can't do what an elbow can do. Legs can't do what eyes can do. Let's visit the leg subject for a moment. Listen to me carefully. I kind of think about this gift of mine, kind of like a leg. Helps move the body forward, right? Watch this with me. You could say something like, my gift is important because it's like the legs of the body's members that carries it around. I beg to differ with you. Listen very carefully. You may feel like your gift or gifts are hidden and cannot be seen. That's easy to believe. Listen to me. However, you can lose a leg and still live and get around, even live a productive life. If I, heaven forbid, got run over by a Greyhound bus on my way home today, you can get another pastor with a gift a lot like mine or maybe even better. Now, that'd be tough because I've never seen a Greyhound bus in Alaska. But it could happen, right? Listen to me now. But if your gift, think about this for a minute. Maybe your gift's like a liver. Now, I've I've known people tell other people, well, you got nice looking legs. But I've never heard anybody say, you know, you got a great looking liver. (laughs) You can't see a liver, but you cannot live without it. Maybe your gift is one that no one can see. Doesn't matter. The body cannot live without your gift. If it's like a liver, amen, take out both your kidneys and see how well you do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't belittle your gift. Don't think that yours isn't important. It could literally be given life to the church. Don't ignore it. Happy is the man or woman who knows their gift and operates in it. Miserable is the man or woman who tries to operate in somebody else's gift. Just side notes. I'm just saying. 
The liver gets no intention, no attention, but is one of the most important parts of the body. However, the body could not move forward without a liver. Now look at 1 Corinthians 4 and 2. Watch this with me. So, Brother Dennis, what in the world? Grace, gifts, and stewards. What in the world are you getting at? 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says this. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be what? They be found faithful. We're all stewards. We all have gifts. They're not our gifts. They're God's gifts. And we're all stewards. What is required of a steward? One requirement. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. There have been leadership conferences around the country. I've looked into some of them. I like the materials. I like to read them. I like to expose them, tell to them. And I found out something. There was a leadership conference that was traveling through the country, and they were posing a question to leaders, and it went like this. What do you think the word faithful means? Think about that a minute. We're not going to poll you. I'm going to give you what the top answers were, all right? Steadfast, does that sound good? Faithful, steadfast, consistent, dependable, reliable, loyal, true, trustworthy, devoted, and truthful. Do, do those words sound good for faithful? Those were the top answers. Never once has anyone answered the question like Jesus did. Jesus answered it with one word. I'm not going to tell you what the word was yet. Go to Matthew chapter 25 with me. Be prepared to be slapped. This is going to slap you. This is going to hit you. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 15. Now, I think that the English Standard Version misses it here. The King James Version, the New King James Version says, for the kingdom of God is like, all right? And I think those words missing is important, all right? For it will be like a man going on a journey. In the Bible, other version says, for the kingdom of God is like a man who went on a long journey. All right? For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. I'm looking at it. Your Bible and my Bible has those words in red. What does that tell you? Jesus is talking, right? For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So, let's rehearse this. I don't care if it's Curly, Larry, and Moe. I don't care what names you give these people. Say, Curly, number one, got five talents, right? Moe got three. And what was it? Or Shemp. Curly, Larry, or Moe, Right? Mo or Shemp, I don't care which one it was. He only got one, right? So one servant got five, one got three, one got one. The important thing to remember is that they all got some. Actually, I think it was two, but listen to me. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And, who, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five more talents. Now, what did Jesus say? His master said to him, well done. He didn't say, man, you're a smooth talker. Man, you do everything right. Man, you do this, you do that. You just are so pleasant. You represent the company well. He didn't say any of those things. 
He said, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. That's what Jesus said. Why? Because the guy turned five talents into ten. And he didn't say, he didn't use any other fancy words. He didn't comment on anything else that he did in the process. The man turned five talents into ten talents. And Jesus called him a good and faithful servant. So what is the one word that Jesus uses to describe faithfulness? Multiplication. Now, have you ever heard that before in your life? I I never heard that before in my life. Jesus said multiplication is a sign of faithfulness. I gave you this. You did this with it. You multiplied it. Therefore, you are a good and faithful servant. Not only did the guy ignore what God had given him, he doubled it. He went out and multiplied it twice over. And all of a sudden, instead of having ten talents or gifts, or five, he now has ten. Watch this with me. The only thing that the subject, that this subject, number one, did that revealed to us that they were faithful is that they understood the principle of multiplication being the fruit of faithfulness. Now, listen to me carefully. So I, I don't know about this, Brother Dennison. What is one of the first commands God ever gave man? What? What was it? Somebody tell me. What, brother? Be fruitful in what? Be fruitful in what? Say it loud and proud, brother. <laughs> multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, now, could we say that he just meant lots of children? Go have lots of children. Really? Is that all he was saying? Is that all he was saying? Really? Are you that smart that you can limit God to that he only meant this? He didn't mean more things than just having children. Are you that smart? I'm not that smart. I can't limit God. You understand what I'm saying? Watch this with me. Verse 22, and he also who had two talents, it's two, not three, right? And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. So he turned two into what? Four. He multiplied it by two and produced four. His master said to him, the exact identical thing. And and he only had four and the other guy had ten. What did he say? Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made you two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Even though this guy only produced two more than he received, he also received the same reward as the guy who produced ten. Then we had the third guy. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. This guy did not know the character of his master. Did he? Why? How do we know this? He also had received one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered 
No seed. And what does it say? So I was afraid. I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Two things I want you to notice about that. He said, you wicked, and what he said was, you wicked and lazy servant. That's the first thing. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to say this harsh words. God hates laziness. God hates laziness. Now, you, you need to get that down in your heart and mind right now. God hates laziness. And I'm going to tell you how much he hates laziness. Because that's what he said. You wicked and slothful servant. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. Notice point number two I'm going to make here about this section. You wicked and slothful outsider. Did he say outsider? Did he say non-family member? Did he say outside the circle? Not like these, no, he called him a servant just like he called the other two servants, but he didn't call him faithful, but he called him a servant. He didn't say, you're you're not my servant. He just said he's a wicked and lazy servant. I'm going to tell you something, that should grip your heart. Listen to me carefully. But his master answered him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. First, we see that this guy did not know the true character of his master, Secondly, he suffered from fear, and fear causes our gifts to go dormant. Listen to that. Fear causes our gifts to go dormant. You may wonder. You may be looking. You know, if you're that person that's sitting there, I never know I had any gifts. Well, wake up. Wake up. Listen to the word of God. You got them. You need God to reveal to you what they are. You still got breath in your body. It's not too late. There's a cure for laziness. There's a cure for slothfulness. There's a cure for ignorance. There's a cure for not knowing. Amen? There's breath in your body. There's breath in your body, right? All right. So, pay attention to the fact that Jesus did not say, you wicked, slothful, lazy outsider. He said servant. In regard to our works, Jesus refers to them as either wicked and lazy or those who multiply as faithful and good. There's one or the other. There's nothing in between. You, 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 you hear what I'm picking up? Or are you picking up what I'm saying here? Are you hearing what I'm saying? It gets worse. It gets worse. So the master said, to take the talent from him, who, from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Give it to him. Now that guy's got 11. I want you to notice something with me. So what do we got now? We have a guy that has 11 talents. We've got a guy that has four talents. How many talents is that? Fifteen. Good math. That's just addition, right? (laughs) That's just addition. We should be able to do that. Notice that Jesus Christ is not a socialist. That, That is funny. It is funny. It's true. Jesus isn't a socialist. Jesus didn't say, okay, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so we're going to give five to this guy, we're going to give five to this guy, and we're going to give five to this guy because we don't want to hurt his feelings. Jesus is not a socialist. Mm-mm. Jesus is not a socialist, right? He's not a socialist. He gave 11 to the guy who put forth the most effort and produced the most. He gave that one to that guy, the one who'd worked the hardest. God blessed it, right? And then there was the middle guy who got the same blessing from the master because he produced two more and got four, right? 
Now, I'm going to tell you something, servants of God. What the rest of the scripture says, I will not ignore. I heard a guy preach on this subject, not like this at all. Not like this at all. It's an entirely different message. I don't know how he got it, but entirely different message. But here's what it says. Verse 29, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. Notice that God is not opposed to you and abundance. He's opposed to when abundance has you. That's what he's opposed to, right? For everyone who has will be given, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Listen to me carefully. I didn't write this. And if it scares you, praise God. It ought to scare you. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if you're concerned about that, you don't have to be concerned about it for long. Just get right with God. Just get right with God. You're alive here today. You're looking at me. You're not, you know, I've put people to sleep preaching before. I know what it looks like. Drool and everything. I've seen it all, right? But you're alive. You're awake. Your eyes are open. You're looking at me. You're engaging. Do not be afraid. Take action. Take action. You will not stand before God in heaven and say, Pastor Dennis never told me. Pastor Dennis never pointed that out to me. That is dangerous to ignore what God is working to do in your life, servant, steward. Amen? These words are important. Grace is important. Gifts are important. Steward is important. Multiplication is important. How, how simple can it be? I mean, so who is giving more? Those who multiply. What have we learned recently? God has no problem with abundance in our lives as long as abundance doesn't have us. Has anybody ever heard of the Dream Center in Los Angeles? You ever heard of it? The Dream Center in Los Angeles. Tommy Barnett, a man who's laid hands on me and prayed for me. I don't know if you know him or if that means anything to you. It meant something to me. Tommy Barnett wanted me to come and teach in the Bible college at the Dream Center in L.A., and we were going. In the end, they were limited to what they could get done. They will feed the hungry. They have a hospital there. They help homeless people. They did all those things, but they didn't open the Bible college, so I didn't get to go teach there. That's okay. God had a different plan for me, right? But there was a man. I'll call him Mike. This is, this is truth. You don't have to believe me. I, I, you know, I really just don't care. I care, but I don't care. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Mike, a man I call Mike. He was broke. He didn't have two nickels to rub together. And God told him, why don't you give $100 a month to the Dream Center, over and above your tithe, $100 a month. How in the world am I going to give $100 a month, God? But I'll do it. You told me to do it, I'll do it. He started giving $100 a month, over and above his tithe. And then next you know, God said, I want you to go to $200 a month. This is a true story. Look me in the eye. I'm telling you this happened. This guy said, well... You know, God helped me do 100 he'll help me do 200 He started giving $200 a month. Next, you know, God wanted him to give 300 a month. God's never satisfied with the baseline. God always wants to do multiplication. And God's multiplication far surpasses our own. The end of the story is... That 15 years later, 
Mike was giving $150,000 a month to the Dream Center in Los Angeles, California. You say, how in the world? Well, what do you think we're saying when we tell you we serve a big God who knows how to multiply? Ask Mike. Mike, how in the world do you go from $100 a month to $150,000? He goes, well, you know, I was a, a struggling small businessman. He said, I'd start obeying God, and I would give that money every month. And next thing you know, dropped into my heart and mind a new business idea. And next thing you know, I was making more money, and God wanted me to give more money. That was my gift. I was brought into the kingdom to be a giver. I knew a man in, in a church that I watched God do similar things to. He owned a moving company. And he told me one day, he said, Pastor, I wish I could preach the gospel like you. I said, Brother, you need to stop talking like that. It's not your gift. You're doing what God has told you to do. And today, the man is a millionaire, but he gives millions into the kingdom of God. Why? Because God called him to be a giver. Now, now, now I give two examples of money. That's not what's important. I'll tell you this. You know, that man over there in that booth right there has a gift, running sound, right? I asked him this morning, I said, how many people have you taught to run a sound booth? He said, I don't know, I kind of lost count. I don't know. What if it's just a dozen? You had the gift of running a sound booth, and you come back to God, and you can say, well, I had this one gift, but I have multiplied it, and I've turned it into 12. Is that what he did? Thank you, good and faithful servant. Thank you. That, and that's a simple, a simple example, right? It's a simple example, easy example, right? Say, say you don't know what your gift is right now. I mean, well, go find out. Do you think God's going to hide it from you? Do you think God doesn't want to tell you what it is? Do you think God doesn't want to knock the dust off of it for you? It's going to be okay. Don't worry. You're not going to be that servant unless you turn a deaf ear to what God's telling you today. You're not in danger. You're not in trouble. No one here has anything to worry about. Just do what God tells you to do. Amen? I get excited about it because I don't want anybody in the sound of my voice to be cast out with the unfaithful servant, the slothful and lazy servant. You shouldn't do that. You're listening to a pastor that's going to give you the truth. Don't waste your opportunity. Amen? Do you realize that today, if we just do what God's telling us to do, everything's going to be all right? Oh, well, brother, we don't have this program in place yet. Or we haven't set an appointment to do this yet. Well, this group hasn't met yet. Quit worrying about all that. Start worrying about what God's saying to you. Okay? Get that right. Get that right first. Because it has eternal rewards. The schedule doesn't have eternal rewards. The calendar doesn't even have eternal rewards. It has limits, right? But God gives eternal rewards. What God's saying to you, that's what matters. Obey that. 
Look at that gift and just reproduce it. You say, Brother Dennis, you, you, you know, it's easy for you. You're a preacher. You do this full time. You get to go to that neat office and sit there and just soak it all up. Oh, yeah, I got it easy. <laughs> it's simple life for me. No, it's not. But what did God call you to do? Where do you work? Is that not an evangelistic field? Isn't that a place where you can at least let other people see Jesus in you? Because, you know, truth be known, if Jesus is really in you, you can't hide him. You can't hide Christ. He has a way of getting out. All right? So well, I, I, don't, I don't get prayed. I don't get paid to preach the gospel. No, you don't. But you do. You are a Christian living in life for Christ, and you get paid to do a job at that place. Right? I went to work for a police department where the city council voted. Well, we've hired a pastor who's a cop. What do we do about his ministry? Now, I was honored that they asked that question. What do we do about Carl Dennis's ministry? He's a cop. He's on our payroll. What do we do? They made a motion, and they voted, and it's in the minutes, and they called me in. They said, we have talked about this. We've addressed this issue, and we wanted to tell you, anyone in the city who asks you to pray for them while you're in uniform, you have our blessing. This is a city government. You have our blessing to pray for them. Unheard of. But it is what the God you serve does. Amen? Finally, if you want to be counted as faithful, you must be a mathematician that's capable of multiplication. You know, everybody has something and God's given them to do and if you're good at it, you can teach other people to do it. If you find someone else that could exemplify that gift, give it away. Let it multiply. Pass it on. Share it with somebody. Encourage them to find their gift and to multiply it in others. This is not a game. You know what? I'm so happy. I want to tell you this. My wife, Ruthie, your pastor's wife, I said, Ruthie, Ruthie, I'm, I'm excited. Sit down and listen to this sermon. And I got down to the part where Jesus answered it with one word, multiplication. That's what he, Jesus uses to describe faithfulness. Not only do you know you have a gift, but you're willing to reproduce it in others. Give it away. Make the talents grow. Make the talents multiply. I read to Ruthie to that point. When I said, never once has anyone ever answered the question like Jesus did, my wife said, oh, oh, you need to go to Matthew chapter 25, and you need to talk about the master and his servants. I looked at my wife, I said, where did you get that? Where did you get that? She, she's not the pastor, she's not the preacher, she's the pastor's wife. And yet, God showed her that passage of scripture before the whooping special preacher was able to tell her. I'm not the only one God speaks to. Speaks to your pastor's wife and he will speak to you. Alright? Now really, in reality, there's several kinds of people here. Some of them are you and thinking, wow, this is great. I gotta do this. Other people are wondering, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. have I been lazy? 
Stop it. Stop it. You need the peace that passes all understanding right now that comes with obeying the master. You've learned what he wants. Now all you do is got to go give it to him.